Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... Where's my froggy? Where's my froggy? I don't know. I didn't see it want to come in. Well, look, damn your eyes. Look for it. Good. Sorry, sir. Michael Preston. Taggart. My favorite line from that movie. There are so many really good lines from that movie, but just that, that whole scene. My favorite part of that movie. The Kook Center Hour is back, and we are back on the podcasting grind because I got sick of the show sounding like crap because I'm a stickler for audio sounding good. One of the diseases of working in radio. Uh, And we are back before the start of another Washington State football season. We're back two weeks early, in fact. We're going to talk some... American football with Bill Connolly coming up here in a few minutes. And then we're going to talk some football football with WSU women's soccer head coach Todd Schollenberger. That coming up after Bill seen as always, we get to the Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything. But first, we're in, what is this, mid-August. We have kids back on campus over at WSU. Always my, my favorite time of the year uh, because I think <laughs> my last... My last uh, WSU welcome week, I got to school a week and a half early, and I was working, going to football practice, reporting on football practice, and then drinking every night and golfing every mid-afternoon. It was a pretty sweet little existence there. But at this time of the year, this is the, you know, as it is in the NFL, everybody's in the best shape of their life, and everybody's, you know, the offense is going to be as great as it's ever been, and all those other platitudes we get at before every preseason, and every year, every single freaking year, I promise myself that I'm not going to get too excited. That I'm going to reserve judgment, hold judgment, and say, Michael, you are not going to get too overly excited about this football team. You should know better. You're a Washington State Cougar fan. You should know better than to raise your expectations because you've been brokenhearted more times than Taylor Swift. I don't write as many songs as she does when I get my heart broken. But the news that Kyron Priester is eligible, the news that Gabe Marks is back, the news that Eric Powell looks pretty decent as the kicker, The news that Luke Falk seems to have a pretty good hold on the starting job. The knowledge we have that Gerard Wicks, Jamal Morrow, Keith Harrington look good in the backfield. That the whole offensive line is back. I am drooling at what this offense can do this year. I am absolutely, there is a puddle at the bottom of my seat. I will have to replace this chair because I am thinking about the offense. No, defense, on the other hand, Treshawn Broughton probably not going to make it on campus. If he's not here now, probably not going to be here. Now, granted, the fall semester doesn't start until Monday, but you just get the feeling that a guy at a JC transfer, if he doesn't have it kind of figured out right now already, it's probably not going to get figured out. So you have to go on and assume that he is not going to be here. So Charleston White's been hurt, hasn't been at practice. Understanding is from Kook fan, he got his bell rung pretty good. 
So what are you left with in the secondary? The defensive line, yeah, you lose Xavier Cooper, you lose Tony Pole. Still a lot of good talent up there. Equale, Barber. Now Luke Tapa comes off his red shirt. Hercules Mata Afa off a red shirt. But that's secondary, man. I'm worried. <laughs> that is so worrying back there. But if the offense puts up a billion points a game, you don't have to stop anybody, right? Literally, those Paul Wolf defenses of just keep it in front of you could do it. As long as you bleed the other offense on the field long enough so you don't let them catch up, it could work, maybe? But this is the time of year where everybody's expectations are always grandiose. You, you always have big, big, big expectations at this time of year. You always think more of this football team than you do at any time of year. You always think, you know, beginning of last season, I was convinced this was a bull-bound team again. And boy, when I left CenturyLink Field after the Rutgers game, <laughs> did I not feel that way at all. So this is that time of year where your expectations are always high. It's like the beginning of the school year for anybody. My, I'm going to go to school this year, and I'm going to kick some ass grades-wise. I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to go to every single class. I'm not going to skip classes. I'm going to every class on my schedule. I'm not spending 30 bucks at the zoo at taco night, which, by the way, is a freaking talent if you can actually spend that much money when it was when i was there anyway 75 cent tacos and 50 cent pbrs my understanding is that price has increased which is just disgusting back in mad day you could get a taco and a pbr for a dollar 25 this is that time of year where you let your expectations kind of run wild a little bit when being unencumbered with those expectations is perfectly acceptable because we don't have any evidence to the contrary in terms of what has been done so far in this season for you to temper them. Should they be tempered? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I probably shouldn't be this amped up for Cougar football because I should know better. But I wasn't amped up in 2013 when they went to a bowl game. I wasn't, you know, 3-9 the year before. And absolute disasters all over the place. I, why why would I have been excited? And then I got excited last year, and I got let down again. Now I know how you feel, Taylor. Tay? Is that what the, all, her, all her friends call her? Tay-Tay? T-Swift? I have no idea what people call her. I don't listen to her music. At all. <laughs> um, you get excited, and then you get let down. This is always that time of year to try to temper expectations, but you don't want to do that because you think this football team can win their first four games. They can beat Portland State. They can beat Rutgers. They can beat Wyoming. They can beat Cal. And then all they have to do is win two more games. You think they can beat OSU. You think they can beat Colorado. You think they can beat a depleted Washington team. You think they have a shot at beating Stanford when they come up to Pullman. You think they have a chance to compete with UCLA as long as they don't have a quarterback when they go to Pasadena. That's what you think at this time of year. There's nothing, you you know, you, you, you don't want to think that, you know, Wyoming's an up-and-coming Mountain West team. Rutgers is still trying to find a quarterback, but they beat WSU in Seattle last year. You don't want to think 
that Cal's offense is just insane, even if their defense is about as good as Washington State's. You don't want to think that every time OSU has come to Pullman, it seems like in the last 10 years, they have absolutely destroyed Washington State, including my sophomore year when it was pouring down rain and Alex Brink threw five interceptions. You don't want to think that Chris Peterson has always found a way with less talent to win football games. You don't want to think that. You don't want to think about Cepho Lialfo. Leofo, Leof, Lealfo, I can never say Cepho, Lealfo's, Leofo, I, the Colorado quarterback's name, I can never say it. You don't want to think about that team coming up. You don't want to think about the good quarterback they have or the good wide receiver they have in Nelson Spruce. You don't want to think about that kind of thing. You want to think about the fact that Washington State's offense is primed to score about a billion points a game, even if their defense is primed to give up about as many. This is going to be a year where it is kind of all or nothing. All your chips are on black at the roulette table, and you better hope it lands on a black number when the ball rolls. You better hope it does, because that's pretty much how this entire season is going to go. Kyle Sherwood calls it the Gravitron. I call it a roulette table. You're either going to miss spectacularly and lose all your money, or it's going to be great. I, it, it, and that's how it's probably going to be but you don't have to temper your expectations at this time of year because it is the preseason. It is that time of year when you can be happy. It's that time of year when you can be happy before your heart gets irrevocably ripped out by something awful happening. And it's, you know, not, it's not just Washington state. There are other college fan bases, other teams that go through those heart wrenching defeats. It just seems like, it's only WSU because obviously, you know, it's what team you pay attention to, but obviously there's also been a lot of heartbreaking, improbable losses recently. But this is that time of year when the nothing is going to get in our way. Nothing is going to stop us. We're going to go to a bowl game. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to do this, that, and the other thing. Nothing gets in your way right now because nothing's been played. So everybody's undefeated. Everybody looks like they're in the best shape of their life. Everybody thinks they are going to the postseason. And in a depleted Pac-12 North, it's not outside the realm of possibility, especially when you have the best wide receivers in the in the Pac-12 North. You have everybody back on your offensive line. I won't say the best offensive line in the Pac-12 North, but it's certainly better than Washington's. You have a lot of offensive pieces back. You have a quarterback back who you saw a little bit of last year. I think if people hadn't seen Luke Falk last year, they'd be a little more nervous, but they're not as nervous having seen a little bit of him last year. Knowing what you've got in him, knowing what you've got in Gerard Wicks, Jamal Morrow, knowing what you've got coming back in Gabe Marks, River Craycraft, Kyle Sweet, Tyler Baker, Dom Williams, now Kyron Priester, that's huge as well. Uh, Robert Lewis, all these other guys, CJ Dimery, who's six foot six, all these guys are going to create a high scoring offense. The thing that you got to wonder about is can the special teams stop anybody? Can they improve on that awful year? And can the defense do anything? And we're going to talk to Bill Connolly about that next right here on the Coop
here in the Cook Center Hour, uh, the first show of, uh, I guess you could call it football season. We'll just call it the new academic year for WSU, even though school starts next week. Kids are in their, their kind of mode, getting into, getting into learning again, and we're getting ready for that. And with that in mind, we welcome in uh, SB Nation's statesman of the advanced metrics on college football. And this man works harder than just about anybody I know. Bill Connolly, uh, you are going to write 128 previews for college football teams this year, one for each and every FBS team. That's a lot of work, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I mean, when you start in early February, uh, you have plenty of time for each. <laughs> we, we are in the home stretch here, got another week to go, uh, and they'll be all finished on uh, Monday when we do Alabama. Well, the, oh, are you going to end with Alabama? Well, that's... Uh... No, no consternation in the comment section on that one, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> so just for folks who aren't as familiar with uh, advanced metrics, we use them uh, quite a bit at Coog Center, uh, and I know you are obviously a big advocate for them, and I enjoy reading all of your work. Um, the, kind of the big tenets of it are S&P Plus and F Plus. Can you just kind of give us an ex- explanation of what those are real quick and how, kind of how you go about calculating them? efficiency, explosiveness, uh, field position, finishing drives, and turnovers. Those five things will determine uh, most of a given game. And so what I've done more recently is kind of tweak my own S&P Plus ratings to where it kind of incorporates all of those things Mm -hmm. um, in in a way that is the most predictive of the future. So, um, I mean, that's really most of it boils down to efficiency and explosiveness, like, you know, on-base percentage and slugging percentage for – for baseball, um, you have your success rates, your play-for-play efficiency, and then you've got your uh, what, what I use as points per play, you know, mm-hmm. the, the per-play explosiveness, and, and, and a lot of uh, everything can be boiled down into those two things situationally and everything else, and that, that makes really that makes the basis for those previews or for the number parts of those previews. There are words too, and um, and it, but what you'll see there is you know they were. S&P Plus, they ranked, uh, you know, 117th on rushing, 41st on passing downs, 36th in the third quarter, et cetera. And, and you can just go through and see kind of all the situational aspects there. Mm-hmm. Bill Connolly with us from SB Nation. We're talking about uh, his season preview of WSU, which he wrote, did a fantastic job on. Um, by your F-plus ranking, WSU was actually better last year than they were in 2012. I think that kind of passed the eye test a little bit too, but they still took a pretty significant drop off a lot of that had to do with the defense and those numbers that we saw in your preview outside of the defensive line uh were pretty bad uh again the eye test verified that but they were pretty bad just in terms of comparison to the rest of college football too right i mean they were um you know the line stats themselves were pretty good they were they had an active front there and they uh, you know occasionally were able to to do some disruptive things, but yeah, I mean, if they, if they couldn't make a play behind the line, then the, the other team was probably going a long way with the ball, and so, you know, there's a balance there. You want to make uh, uh, the, uh, the opposing offense inefficient. You have to figure out ways to um, either be re- aggressive or rely on kind of a bend-don't-break thing where uh, you can eventually force turnovers. Either way, you're going to eventually have to get aggressive to make stops, and they just couldn't do it really well, or at least when they couldn't do it well, they did something very uh, yeah. Pass the line of scrimmage. You talked a little bit about uh, turnovers and how important those are to you. I think they're important to everybody when we look at 
uh, kind of the balance of a football game. WSU only managed about eight turnovers last year, and they went something like seven games without a takeaway. Describe for me how historic, that not necessarily historically bad, but compared to the rest of college football, that's got to be near the bottom in terms of ability to create a turnover uh, for your football team. Well, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, part of that was bad luck. Um, you know, what I, one of the things I look at in the, when we're talking about projection factors is, um, you know, looking at the number of fumbles that each team recovered, uh, you know, yours and theirs, and looking at the number of passes defensed uh, that resulted in interceptions. You know, usually you'll have one interception for every three or four breakups, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm pulling it up here. The Washington State was nowhere close to that. Basically, um, they should have expected to force more turnovers than they actually did. They probably dropped a few too, a few more than would have been expected yeah. if they'd done it all again. Uh, but yeah, they had three picks and 41 breakups. With that many passes defensive, they should have had about nine picks. That's another six turnovers right there. And so they really lost three or four points per game to just bad bounces, bad turnovers luck in a season that they lost some close games. You know, those, you know, Rutgers, Nevada was closer than the 11-point deficit, but Oregon was seven points. California was one point. And so, you know, you get a couple better breaks in the first half of the season, and the, the complexion of the second half looks completely different. Yeah, I don't think we, uh, that Cal game, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the, that's... Turnovers than just the most the most perfect implosion of special teams ever, oh, but regardless, yeah, I mean, those yeah. bounces could have come at any time. We're, we're, we're going to get to how bad the special teams was in a minute, and, and again, we're talking on a level of just abhorrently bad, but the secondary, we've talked a little bit, you talked a little bit about how inefficient those, those uh, passes defended to picks numbers were. Um, in terms of comparison to the rest of college football, how bad were they last year? Uh, when you look at the other 127 teams they played with in Division One or FBS, oh, pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> worse than three interceptions, especially yeah. when you do have 41 breakups. That's really kind of hard to pull off, and it wasn't necessarily. I mean, I'm looking at the <clears throat> the, the preview here. I mean, like Daquan Brown had zero picks to 11 breakups. Charleston White had one to 13. Uh, for quarterbacks, that's that's not that far off. But for safeties, the guys who are looking down, you know, running downfield facing the ball, usually that results in a little bit better uh, percentage, but mm-hmm. Lamar had three breakups, no picks. Um, Talulu, I'm not sure how to Talulu. Taylor uh, Talulu. Two picks and four breakups. And, and the, the safeties had no picks. And so that's pretty rare. That doesn't usually happen. And, mm-hmm. and so that, that's probably, to a certain extent, that was uh, that's unlikely to happen again. Simply going out and playing last year's schedule again, you probably end up forcing a few more turnovers and maybe yeah. turning a game or two. Now, you're kind of in a unique position to talk about uh, a guy like Alex Grinch. For those who don't know, Bill Conley is a, a, a Mizzou guy. And we talked to you. We actually, this is the second time in a few years I've gotten to talk to you about an old Mizzou coach coming to WSU. We talked about David Yost a few years ago. He's the inside receivers coach at WSU. And now we're talking about Alex Grinch, who was the secondaries coach at Mizzou. Now he's a defensive coordinator at WSU. That's kind of a bigger step up than what we got with David Yost. What can WSU fans expect from from Alex Grinch in terms of kind of what he does coaching the secondary? Because obviously it's a big concern for us this year with how bad you just described that secondary being last year. 
Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, he comes to Missouri, I guess 2012, and, um, you know, Missouri fans, that was a time when, you know, they were coming off, I think, an 8-5 and five season. Missouri fans were a little frustrated at that point and wanting to make some big, flashy move that Gary Pingle just doesn't make. And so he hires his nephew, and, and everybody started crying nepotism. And two years later, he was one of the most popular assistants on the team. He was very, very good um, uh, in terms of just – teaching safeties how to play good, smart safety play. You know, mm-hmm. he was just – he seemed really good at that job. He was a good recruiter. Um, and if he takes anything from kind of the Gary Pinkle approach, so to speak, in terms of overall defense, then that's going to mean, uh, you know, a, a variable front, but usually four-man front. It's going to mean uh, a lot of uh, – you know, I mentioned bend-don't-break. They kind of do – the defense of the last couple of years in Missouri has been basically a bend-don't-break with a very destructive front four. And so you've kind of – had the best of both worlds there, and so maybe if they can get disruption with only the, the defensive line, uh, then it's just about, you know, kind of providing cushions on first down and, and making strong tackles, preventing big plays, and eventually, uh, you know, timing your your rare blitzes right to where you get a couple nice uh, setbacks and maybe force a turnover. Uh, just get a stop before the end zone, basically. Bill Connolly joining us from SB Nation, our advanced numbers guy, and he does a great job. He writes previews for each and every team in the FBS, and they're all a great read if you get a chance to do it. I, for one, always uh, always enjoy when we come around to WSUs, which, by the way, I do want I complimented you before we we uh, started talking here, but the the, brief, the the title of Wazoo seems less likely to collapse this year with an exclamation point. I, I, I really enjoy the optimism in that, in that statement. Yeah, well, you know, don't set the bar too high. You know? No, yeah, no, no, no. No, no, no. I, I, I'm a big fat white guy. I love jumping over low limbo bars. Um, we talked a little bit earlier uh, about special teams, and I wanted to touch on it again, uh, as, as painful as this may be. Um, only one team overall was worse at special teams last year than WSU per year preview, and I believe that was Appalachian State. Um, yep. Nothing WSU special teams did they did well. Everything was ranked basically 110th or lower. Uh, their kick returning was dead last almost. It was just a woefully awful year. And it, it's kind of hard to see them be that bad. But a lot of that had to do with losing so many specialists from the season before. But have you, have you seen that kind of precipitous drop from a team ever before in that category? You can't have right. kind of shifts from year to year. I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily what happened last year, but it's at least a, a, a cause for maybe some cautious optimism this year. You know, you're talking mm-hmm. about 20 kick returns or 20 to 25 punt returns, and, um, you know, how many field goals did they attempt last year? Like 16. So, I mean, the, the, a lot of this could have been just simple, you know, Random bad, you know, random bad play that maybe the baseline is closer to average than it actually showed last year, but it was really bad, and, and obviously it, caught, it directly cost them the California game. Yeah, and you know, it just you, you've got to if you're a college special teams unit, you need to be hitting eighty or ninety percent of those field goals under forty yards, and they were eight for thirteen. And you've got to be able to you know get at least twenty thirty percent of your touch of your kickoffs for touchbacks, and they were at fifteen percent. And so yeah, they're just it, it, no, nobody, none of these things met the bar and, and things can turn around quickly but yeah the whole thing needs to turn around in special teams 
Bill Connolly joining us once again from SB Nation. Uh, offensively, in your preview, I mean, things are, you know, this is a Mike Leach football team. They get Gabe Marks back uh, from a redshirt season. Uh, Luke Falk comes probably going to be the starting quarterback after uh, filling in for Connor Halliday for three and a half games last year. Um, this is kind of an offense that can just kind of keep humming along, can't they? I mean, it's, you know, one that just kind of needs to do their part, put up about four to five touchdowns a game, and they are probably primed to do that at this point. Right. I mean, there are various degrees of, of you know, quality, quality leech offense, but the baseline's pretty high, obviously. And yeah. so you do expect points here. Fox kind of interesting. He was almost kind of like Halliday was as a freshman or sophomore, I guess sophomore in Leach's system, where he had a little hero ball in him. And, yeah. you know, his, his uh, per-completion averages were higher than Halliday's, Halliday's, but he also took a ton more sacks. He threw more picks. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of – that's the one thing that you just cannot have in that offense. So yeah. I'm curious – you know, it's, it's a hard balance. You want him to make the big passes if they're air, there, but you can't force anything. You take what the defense gives you. If it means gaining five or six yards at a time, do it. Um, kind of a bend-or-break offense, so to speak. And, you know, they don't – he wasn't quite ready to be that patient yet. And he was a young quarterback, so of course mm-hmm. he wasn't. So I'm, I'm curious how much growth he shows in that regard and if they can still break off some big plays. We kind of have a, de- a long-standing debate going with a lot of Cougar fans. I think a lot of people want to see the ball run more because they think, you know, the offense needs to be quote-unquote balanced, need to run the ball more. Is it a matter of with this offense needing to run the ball more or what I've said in the past, needing to run the ball more efficiently? They don't pick up a lot of yards on their run plays when they do run them. Luke Falk seemed a little more apt to hand the ball off last year, but it's it's is it necessarily just needing to run more, the higher volume of runs, or is it things need to be more efficient when you do hand the ball off to Jamal Morrow or Gerard Wicks? Right, I mean, the problem last year was that they were terrible at running the ball. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, running more would have just meant, you know, you know failing quicker. <laughs> no, I mean, the idea, what Mike Leach considers balance is making sure each of his uh, skill position guys, uh, you know, the HXYZ and running back all touch the ball about, you know, to, to a certain degree about the same amount of time. And so you're always going to be throwing far more than you run, but that means those running backs getting touches, getting carries, and, you know, the dump down passes and getting the slot guys, the inside guys and the outside guys, tur- taking the ball in whichever direction the defense dictates uh, and, and being willing to do so. I do think sometimes it feels like, you know, Leach is, an, is orthodox enough in terms of being pro-pass that he gives up or that he, that he uh, you know, foregoes certain gains on the ground. But I don't think that's necessarily intentional. I mean, a lot of that's going to come from the what read the quarterback makes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no, I mean, if, if I think if they were to run more last year, it wouldn't have mattered. This year it could if they get good at it. But they ended up having to lean more on uh, certain areas. Uh, you know, the, the X position is what uh, you, where they had the most success last year because they just couldn't run at all. And, and if you can't do that, there's no point in running more. Yeah. Final question for you, Mr. Bill Connolly. Um, after writing your preview, kind of looking over everything uh, that comes with WSU, looking at all your numbers, everything you have to look at, where do you think this team stands this year? Obviously, a non-conference schedule that they probably need to run the table in to have a chance at a bowl game, but then they go nine straight Pac-12 games without a bye in what some would argue the toughest conference in the country. I would probably tell you it's up there with the SEC. Um, where do you think they'll be here at the end of the year, assuming, as you say, less likely to totally collapse. 
rankings at the end of the Pac-12 previews. I had Washington State ninth. I had them ahead of Colorado, Washington, and Oregon State. I think basically everybody in the conference is either really good or improving, but Washington, Oregon, and State this year are both kind of starting from scratch to a certain degree. So I stuck them at the bottom, and that's great, but, um, you know, you still get Washington on the road. So Oregon State's at home. Colorado's at home. Portland State and Wyoming at home. Win those four. Um, win one of those two against uh, – uh, well, I guess win both of them against Oregon State and Colorado and you're good. Um, but then, you know, if you slip up in one of those, then, yeah, you're going to need to figure out how to win at California or at Washington or something like that. Mm-hmm. The non-conference schedule there or at Rutgers, I guess. But, yeah, you still have to kind of – you're not allowed much, many glitches if you want to get to six or seven wins. Bill Connolly from SB Nation joining us. Uh, we appreciate so much your art. I mean, every year when you write that, I look forward to reading it. And, again, if you haven't read it, go to SBNation.com. Uh, it's WSU's 2015 season preview, and it's always excellent work by Mr. Bill Connolly. Thank you. Center Hour. Uh, we're going to move on from football to, well, football. I mean, <laughs> football too. here with the WSU women's soccer head coach Todd Schollenberger. His first season uh, at the helm of Washington State. Coach, how are you doing? Very good, thanks. Thanks, Mike, for having me today. So, first off, uh, we'll start off kind of with the, you know, we'll dive into how you got to Pullman, all these other things, because uh, folks are Kind of looking forward, I think, to this season because arguably the most successful program at the school over the last few years. But uh, you had a 3-1 win over Eastern Washington in your exhibition game on Friday. Did you see kind of everything you wanted to see in that game, things you liked, didn't like in uh, in that contest? Yeah, I, I did. It's always good to, to start and get a uh, look at playing against another opposition. You know, we, we practiced against each other for about two weeks and kicking each other and getting kicked. It was fun to play against somebody else. And... Uh, I did. I thought we, we created a lot of opportunities in front of the goal. I mean, I think one of the things I'm going to be striving for this group this year is uh, getting more opportunities in the final third to create goal-scoring opportunities and chances mm-hmm. here. I, I can't say we finished all our chances. For sure, we did not. But uh, we did created them. Um, I was pleased about that. I was a little disappointed on the goal we gave up. It was a uh, just one of those things where a set piece off of a foul, and the girls got to get their mindset. They got to resurface and refocus in, and play from there but on a whole we got to play a lot of people we stayed healthy we got the win and uh we're excited to move on to the next game i'm, I'm i like the staying healthy part that's always important out of an exhibition game Ain't no, nobody wants to get hurt playing a, a game that doesn't count to the standings um for folks who don't know um how kind of what your philosophy is on how you like to play the game and what kind of game of soccer you like to play just explain to folks kind of like 
well, I, I guess what your coaching philosophy and what your playing philosophy is, because you know so many other you know people have defensive philosophies in soccer. They have counterattacking philosophy. They have all these kind of different. What's kind of your philosophy on how you like to play soccer? Okay, well, I think there's two answers to that. One is that on a whole, absolutely, we're going to play a possession, up tempo, uh, attacking minded soccer here. Absolutely, you got to win games by defending, but. We'll have enough numbers around the ball to hopefully prevent that. Uh, we will be up tempo, as I said. We'll be possession. We'll get forward with a purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be uh, attractive soccer. But I will say that, you know, yeah, everybody wants to beat Barcelona, but not everybody can beat Barcelona. And I think the reality is here, based on the game and the opposition, and we'll do what we got to do to win the game. The job here is to win soccer games. Mm-hmm. So, so we're going to have attractive style. If it calls be attractive and we got a high back line we're playing against we got to get vertical and go in behind them we will we will route to that we will we will do what the game is told to do based on our position but on a whole we're going to play again a nice possession keep the ball attractive and for the most part it's back to all soccer at its best right there yeah, you know, no, but not everybody is Barcelona because I don't think anybody can have that's a, just a ridiculous front line they have there. I just that's yeah. nuts. Um, you had previous uh, coaching stops: Clemson, uh, Tech. Mizzou, all in assistant roles. This is your first head coaching job collegiately, if I'm remembering correctly. What kind of drew you to Pullman that you know kind of made this the right time to kind of make that step uh, into your first head coaching gig? Okay, well, first, I mean, the university itself in Washington State, I mean, what a great college town. What a great university. Uh, it's clearly uh, a university that um, supports its uh, academics first, but our athletic programs here, the, the support that Bill Moose and Ann and the rest of the crew have done for this soccer team, the facility upgrades that are coming have been first class. So I think on a whole it's a family uh, organization that really uh, has uh, impact on its sports and our student-athletes. I mm-hmm. think the other thing is, um, I mean, it's a group that's been a winner. They're, they're a winning team. They've been to the NCAA tournament. They're trying to go farther in the NCAA tournament. They're trying to compete for a Pac-12 championship. So I think in those eyes, you know, I've, I've been to the Big 12 and won the Big 12 championship. I've been to the NCAA and gone to the round of 16. So I'm just going to try to add some different little twists, uh, <laughs> maybe say, to, to get that group into that next role. Um, uh, you know, it, the whole atmosphere, the Pac-12 being the best women's soccer conference in America, all those things is just a great recipe for a reason why I'd want to uh, be out here in Pullman. WSU head soccer coach Todd Schullenberger joining us here on the Cook Center Hour. And, uh, Coach, I wanted to ask – because this, you you are the fourth guy to lead this team in the last six years, and previous coaches have departed uh, for various reasons. But I think it's you know hard to it, hard to believe this team's been so successful with so many different coaches over the last half decade or so. Was there anything you had to tell the student athletes when you got to campus uh, this spring to kind of reassure them that you know you know, guys, I'm, I really want to be here. Was there anything you kind of had to tell them? Because they gone through a lot of coaches. I think Gervin Clare, the goalie who just graduated, had had three coaches over four years. So it was quite a lot of turnover coaching-wise. Was there anything you had to say to them to kind of reassure them? No, it's not so much what I had to say because my time and my actions and the way we lead here will show itself in your future. They just got to trust in that. So I yeah. think by me coming in and saying something doesn't mean a lot because they've lost some people over the time. But I found attracted to these guys was the culture that's in that locker room because one person out next person in and they're like you know move on over because this is what we do here we win so to me that was an attraction it didn't scare me one bit a team that has adversity and can handle it is something i want to be a part of and yeah. uh you know they just there's something good in that locker room i can't tell you what it is yet because i'm, I'm rather new i can tell you that i've been a part of 
one exhibition, two spring games, and probably now about a month of training between here and the spring. I like everything about it. Competitors and, you know, uh, my actions will go farther than my words, and uh, this group is ready to roll. You already pointed to they've handled a lot of adversity. They've been a very successful program the last few years. I don't think a lot of people think of Pullman as kind of this, you know, when you're talking about competing with UCLA, USC, all these really good women's soccer teams, nobody thinks about Pullman as kind of being this really competitive spot, but they have been, over the last decade or so, arguably the best program at the school. How do you kind of continue that success with them just going forward against a conference that is getting tougher year in, year out? Well, it's about the players you have now. It's about recruiting the next group as you come in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a great college town. I mean, I can sit there and say I was in Lubbock, Texas. I mean, unless you've been to Lubbock, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. And we were all the way around 16th. Yeah. So it's a, we, you, got the, you got the support. You have the facilities. You got the um, uh, players around you. You have an unbelievable soccer conference, and you got a great culture in your locker room. I mean, that, that, that says enough that, uh, again, I don't have to say a lot there about um, that. I think the writing's on the wall, and uh, this team's ready to roll. Speaking of a wall, kind of, this, you know, they've gotten to the postseason a lot the last few years, but this team seems to hit that wall in the postseason. They lost to Seattle U, actually, for the first time in program history, and they did it during the NCAA tournament last year. They've been so successful. They've only gotten past that first game of the tournament once in the last uh, six years or so. Is there some kind of mental block that can prevent you from doing that? Because I know you said you've been to the round of 16. Is there just something in your mind that can kind of, you know, get in your own way when you get into that pressure situation? Or is it just something else entirely where they've just run into really good teams? Yeah, I mean, it could be a mental block. Again, I haven't been here long enough to know yeah. what that would be. I mean, on the outside looking in, you'd probably say, yeah, there's something there that maybe uh, not allowing this team to go past that first round. To me, it's I told them from day one, we don't necessarily need to be the first horse out of the gate here. We want to be the last one out around that turn who's making the home stretch run. So it's about managing your players. It's managing their time. It's managing this preseason and how we did, getting players in the right roles, and, and them taking care of themselves. So that's all I can do from now because I wasn't a part of something there. It's something that's a routine. It's something I'll find out down the road. But all I'm basing on is what I see now, and yeah. I'm going to manage it correctly. And as I told them, again, we don't have to be the first round of the gate. We want to be the last one late in November and where we'll continue to play. Did lose some talent off the uh, roster last year, but you have some really good pieces back, uh, Bremer, Powers, Gutline. Uh, who are some athletes who maybe those of us who have been watching, uh, you know, casual fans or really intense fans, I know there's some guys who come down from the dorm still hopefully to watch you guys play, and you'll find that out, I'm sure, uh, not this week, but next week when you're at home. Um, who are some of the players that we need to be keeping an eye out for that maybe we haven't, um, heard a lot of uh, previously. I think in the, in, the, in the attacking part of the uh, side of the ball there, uh, Kai, Kylana Johnson, I mean, Kai is a tricky, crafty player that's uh, really doing a good job, and she's going to own that midfield for us. Um, Kato, who's from Southern California, she'll play a little bit up front in the midfield. She's another tricky player, likes to run at people, runs off the ball. She scored a goal this weekend. Um, you know, Kara Wagner, who's also going to play, has some time up front in the midfield. Mm-hmm. Knows that she's a goal scorer. And I think, you know, in the back, you talk about our stability of Susie White controlling that back line, a starter from last year. We have Jordan Branch, who returns to the left back, who was a Pac-12 player last year. We got uh, one of our freshmen who's in now, Megan from Spokane. Watch out for this young lady. She is uh, doing great things. Is now part of that back line. We got uh, Crenshaw on the right side, who's 
found some time in the spring is doing an excellent job. And then our goalkeeping position, we're really deep. And Bella, uh, our redshirt freshman, who's a national team player from Southern California right now, is pushing for that one spot. But Alexa and Emma and Julia, they're all right there. So we're, we're deep there. We're young in the, in the goalkeeping role, but we, you know, we got a lot of talent. Some. Uh, very good size and uh, mobility with these young ladies. Well, speaking of goalkeepers, you lose uh, Gervine Clare, who is arguably the best goalie in program history. Do you kind of have, you, I think you kind of talked about, is there a little battle going on back there to see who's going to be the goalkeeper this year, or is it nothing's quite been decided and it has it? Well, I, I mean, I'm going to show a card. We'll see Friday night, but I can tell you that, <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a great battle. Um, these uh, young ladies are working hard with Coach Johnson. done a great job with the keepers. You know, yeah, you got four. Anytime you have four goalkeepers training and they're healthy, mm-hmm. which they are, and, and, and doing a good job, it, it, it's definitely a competition environment. Um, in my mind, it, it, there's a one and two right now, and, and we'll get that out on Friday night when we get rolling. I like that. You're holding on to your cards nice and close. That's good. Coach Schollenberger, WSU women's head soccer coach joining us. Coach, I like to end things with uh, easier going questions because you've done such a good job answering my very hard hitting journalism questions. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> What is, so far, you've been in Pullman now for about four months. What's your favorite place to eat? My favorite place to eat has been the Black Cypress, I'll say that. Everybody says that. Everybody says the same thing, and I, I got I to go there. I got to go there. Well, I like Fernand. I took, the, I took a couple of crutes in the summer camp to Fernand's Ice Cream, so I'll give a shout-out to I like the ice cream over there, too. Oh, God, no. It's, it's yeah, the best in the sure. state by a long shot, man. No, it's the best stuff. Okay. <laughs> Last one. This is this is kind of a rite of passage for anybody who's come to Pullman, uh, and I know you must have made your way through this town a few times. Have you been caught speeding in Colfax yet? I have not. I've been warned. Uh, <laughs> I think my, my wife's brother has. My wife may have, but I have not. So I, I know better. So I have absolutely not been pulled over there in Colfax. So your brother in law, your brother in law, did get caught though. He got he got a speeding ticket. I believe he did. <laughs> my, maybe my sister in law was one of the two that was visiting. Seeing us here, here, and uh, maybe it was our sister-in-law, but yeah, they got pulled over. <laughs> just, just stay at twenty-five all the way through town, coach, and you're going to get along fine with Colfax for however long you're here for. <laughs> coach Schollenberger, WSU women's head soccer coach, joining us. Thank you, coach. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Take care. All right, uh, we'll be back here on the Cookstown Hour momentarily. Stick around. spend this segment addressing something that was given to me as a ask Michael anything question um, but I want to spend a little bit more time on it because I think it's I think it's more than just you know more than just my standard 30 second sarcastic answers to a lot of things you get this question on Twitter from at uh, Adam and Davis how would you solve the getting alumni in seats problem moose faces beyond the whole winning 
thing. I think, you know, I've thought about this a little bit, and I obviously don't have the business acumen that a lot of people in the athletic department have. I think Bill Moose has done a good job as an athletic director, but I think he's open to criticism on other things. Namely, Mike Leach's contract is not the most favorable for the school. But that aside, what I think I'm talking about, you know, what we talk about, you need to get alumni to Pullman. How do we get alumni to Pullman? How do we get more butts in those seats? And aside from the whole winning thing, I mean, that's kind of the big thing, though, isn't it? I mean, that 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 really is the best thing. That cures all those ills. That cures all your problems. Not all your problems, but it's... It, you know, when you have the flu, what do you do? You drink orange juice because that helps get your immune system up. This is like, winning is like the orange juice when you have the flu. It's going to make it easier to appeal to your alumni, to appeal to them to get over to Pullman, for them to buy six football games worth of tickets every year, for them to make that trek to Pullman from wherever they're going. You're always going to have a problem getting people into seats in Pullman, regardless of whether the football team's good or not, regardless of how good the team is. I mean, I I was not a big WSU fan during their bowl run, their 10-win season run, but I can recall people saying that even during those seasons, the stadium wasn't always full. There were empty seats. You're always going to have a problem getting people to Pullman because there are always excuses. We talked about this last year with the Rutgers game in Seattle. People will make an excuse for anything. You know, with that Seattle game, it was, oh, well, it's on a Thursday night. I can't go. Okay, well, now it's on a weekend and they're playing Grambling State. Oh, well, I don't want to see Grambling State play. Okay, well, it's on a weekend and they're playing a really good team. Oh, well, I don't want to see them lose. That has always kind of been the problem I've had, the mentality with Washington State fans. are Is this fan base very intense and proud of where they come from? Yes. Until you ask them to open their checkbook. Until you ask them to buy football season tickets. Until you ask them to do anything like that, they are the most intense fan base there is. Winning cures a lot of things. That is the biggest thing. But you did say aside from the winning thing. That was Adam's question was, other than the winning, what gets butts in seats? And the answer really to that is, I'm, I, just do, I just don't know. It is hard to get to Pullman. Hotels with two-night minimums, there aren't a lot of them because you don't need a lot of hotels in a town like Pullman other than about 10 weekends a year. And I do mean weekends. I don't even mean during the week. 10 weekends during a year. So 20 days a year you need a ton of hotels. But you don't build hotels for 20 days a year. You build it for 365 days. It's the same reason you know, you don't you don't widen Highway 26 between Vantage and Othello or wherever. Because you build the highway for 365 days a year. Not for the 5 to 6 days a year. There's a lot of shuttling going back and forth on that road. I think a lot of it has to do with a culture change too. The culture change of students. And this isn't just students now. It's students when I was in school. And I'm sure it's students when other alumni were in school in the early 2000s and the 90s, whatever. 
they leave Pullman before football game. You know, that, that Saturday football game before Thanksgiving, they're gone. Labor Day weekend, they're at the gorge for Dave Matthews Band. People can always think of an excuse to not go to Pullman. Regardless of whether they're season ticket holders or not, they can think of a reason to not go. The expense is too high. The, you know, they're going to lose. They're going to, you know, it's too much of a pain in the ass to get there if I live in Seattle or um, anything like that. People can think of reasons not to go. So how do you draw those people in to make it so that they want to be in Pullman? And I think it just, it really, I mean, I know we said aside from winning, but that really is the big thing. It, It cures everything and it makes a lot of things easier. Season tickets are already about as cheap as they are anywhere in the country. Quite frankly, they're cheaper than they should be. We have one season ticket this year, because that's what we've been able to afford, and it was 250 bucks for six games. It's what, like 45 bucks a game? It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. The tickets are already cheap, and... You know, they so they make it easy from that standpoint. The hotels aren't cheap, I get that. But from the standpoint of actually getting a butt in a seat, they've done what they can from the standpoint of expense on their end. They can't control how expensive the hotels are gonna be. I think there are more ways the calf could be a little more engaging uh, with donors. I think the biggest problem WSU has is not necessarily butts in seats, it's checkbooks in donor fund. I think that's a bigger issue. The bigger issue is the fact that we have one of the fastest growing alumni associations in the nation and we're still either 11th or dead last in the Pac-12 in giving to the athletic through the calf. There is something somebody, you know, again, this goes back to that old Cougar fans are the most proud of their heritage until you ask them to open their checkbooks. Something like 18 to 19 thousand washington state university license plates have been issued in this state by the department of licensing it's some absurd number that outdoes the total of uw eastern central and western combined all four of those other special plates don't equal what wsu's does but there are six thousand members or some much smaller, I believe it was 6,000 last I looked, members of the Cougar Athletic Fund. So even if every one of those CAF members had a Cougar license plate, and I don't because I'm fighting my dad for it because it's a really low number and I want it, even if they all had one, that still leaves 12,000 people who have that plate but are not donating. And I know the plate is just a one-time fee, but... The CAF's minimum membership is $50 a year. It's $50 a year. Split up over 12 months, that's four and a half bucks. I'm not even talking to get rid of a cup of coffee a day. I'm not talking getting rid of a cup of coffee a week. I'm talking getting rid of a cup of coffee a month. And you can give money to the Cougar Athletic Fund. There could be 25,000 people a week in Martin Stadium for all I care. If there was more money being given to the athletic department to do what they want to do, to build that better practice facility for the football team, to build a better soccer field, to renovate the baseball stadium so that WSU can actually play catch up with Oregon State, Oregon, and Washington. 
That's the bigger problem. And again, I'm not skilled enough in the ways of, you know, garnering donations and this, that, and the other thing to tell you really how to fix it. It's a perception problem on TV when you don't have butts in seats, but it's a checking account problem, and that to me is the bigger issue when you don't have enough donors. I don't make a ton of money. I'm not going to tell you how much, but my wife and I do donate. We find a way to do that, and it's not really difficult to do that. I think the biggest message you need to get out is, People need to be more willing to do that, to open up their checkbook a little bit. And it doesn't have to be this massive amount of money. I think that's what people think is you have to donate this huge amount of money to, to like, even think about being a donor. You don't have to. I donate what I can. I donate what I'm willing to give that doesn't sacrifice me paying bills, me, you know, renting my apartment, X, Y, and Z. Taking vacations, all this other stuff. I don't sacrifice any of that stuff for what I give to Washington State. There is a number like that for people who are employed full-time, who aren't, you know, obviously struggling if you're unemployed, whatever. I get that. I totally get that. But there's a number like that for every person who is employed full-time, who is married and they are dinkies, they are dual-income, no kids. There is, there is a number like that for everybody. You can give to Washington State. I know you can. And this isn't a pitch. This isn't me telling you you should go do it. If you don't want to do it, that's your right to not go do it. But you, you can't tell me that if you're in that situation, there isn't a number that's palatable. That's Washington State's big, bigger problem. And when Adam asked me that question, that just got me thinking about it. it the butts in the seat is a perception on television problem. It's the no money coming into the checking account that right now that's a bigger one for me. We're going to come back, do the Dunderhead of the Week, and Ask Michael Anything, my two favorite segments. Coming up, you're on the Coop Center. time here on the Coop Center Hour podcast and uh, it's been uh, like a pretty full summer I mean it's been a nice great summer for me and uh, I've enjoyed a little bit of traveling I've gotten it done it's been time to go to South Carolina in the middle of August but uh, that that's not the Dunderhead of the Week no the Dunderhead of the Week instead goes to uh, when you're around my age that is to say in your mid-20s and you're married that means you have a lot of other weddings to be going to so this year Wedding number 
three or four we're supposed to be going to is in late September in Cedar City, Utah. Now, to get to Cedar City, Utah, you can either fly into Salt Lake, take another uh, puddle jumper down to Cedar City, or you can fly into Vegas and dry up. Well, the only option for us is to fly out of Vegas and dry up because of, drive up because of my work schedule. So, your uh, enterprising host was looking to rent a car on Expedia, do the, like the hotel car bundle deal thingy. And he booked his hotel, the Stratford Inn in Cedar City, for a night on Saturday because we're going to Vegas for two days afterwards. And when you get to the car part, uh, you know, it says you can either you know, have X, Y, and Z car, and, you know, the nicer cars will be an extra $20 a day or whatever. Under the minivan section, and again, I'm not taking a minivan. I took the quote-unquote premium, which is like a Nissan Sentra. I didn't know that's a premium car. The minivan for all the companies listed on Xfinity was like an extra $40 a day. For Hertz Rental Car Company, it was an extra $13,000 a day on Expedia. $13,000. Like, what? How does that even happen? How is that even a thing? Is there like one minivan rental on the entire western side of the United States and that's the minivan available? Thirteen thousand bucks for a minivan for one day. I could buy a car for mo- less than that, like a new one, like a new Kia. It, it lasts about the same amount of time, but still, good lord. Stop trying to ask Michael anything. I'm gonna start you out with the first question, kind of a soft one, but I like answering this again because it's Kyra Priester involved. How sick would the receiving corporate with Priester eligible? And what might the distribution of stats be? Remember, Mike Leach likes relatively even distribution, but as we talked about earlier, this is just gonna be disgustingly fun. This is gonna be a lot of fun. Can't wait. I like this. Ah. Have fun covering that, guys. Uh, <laughs> I like this question. From uh, Brett underscore Gleason. Is it okay for someone to ask if you want ice cream and then give you frozen yogurt and say it's the, quote, same thing? Absolutely not. That is disgusting. I mean, that That's just horrifying. Frozen yogurt and ice cream are not the same thing. Ice cream is ice cream. Frozen yogurt is frozen yogurt. I don't know the exact differences between how you make those two things, but frozen yogurt comes from Pinkberry, where it's ridiculously expensive, and ice cream I could buy for a dollar for 32 gallons at Costco. Or you can do what I did in college and get that big old, uh, <laughs> that big old thing of uh, sherbet or whatever it was. That big old thing of sherbet. Like, it came in like the gallon sized tub of rainbow sherbet. That's what we bought. And because we were really fat college students. That's what we bought. That's what I like to get. No, frozen yogurt is not ice cream. Ice cream is ice cream. Frozen yogurt is frozen yogurt. They are separate things, they are not the same. Back next week, we get an interview with volleyball head coach Jen Greeny. At minimum, we have a really good Coops and Iron next week. Stay tuned. 